Good morning. I hope that you know that Jesus was good to you this week. Don't think on that lightly. He was good to you every day, every hour, every minute, every second. He was good to you. And I hope we get to the place that our assessment of our day or our week is not determined by the circumstances, but determined by the reality that Jesus is good to me right now. Paradigm shift. How was your week? It was good. People call me, how's the world treat you? I said, well, the world's beating the hell out of me, but God is good. Doesn't matter. It's a paradigm shift. It's seeing that every moment, every second, every day, Jesus is good to me. We say, God's good all the time. Well, this week he took a vacation. He wasn't so good to me. Yeah, he was. You drew your breath. He's good to you. I pray we get to that place that we look at our week, not based on how things in the natural went, but in the awareness of the goodness of his presence. I think David was trying to communicate that when he just kept saying, the the goodness of God, the goodness of God, the goodness of God, his loving kindness is everlasting, his loving kindness. If he repeats himself, he wants you to get it. So let that sink into your heart, that he's good to me all the time, every second, every moment, in the middle of the fire. What a great illustration, Laura. There are two worlds in that fire. There was the world of the fire and there's the world of God. And the world of God kept them in the fire. He didn't take them out of it. He was good to them in the middle of the fire. Daniel was good. God was good to Daniel in the lion's den. What a picture. Well, we started sharing a little bit last week on about Grace Covenant and how it got started and what the purpose and vision and heart of it was. And I want to kind of finish up on that today. But you, you cannot get any grasp of all of what Grace Covenant is like without reading Ephesians. Now, they accused me of spending two and a half years in two chapters in Ephesians a while back. I think they exaggerated. I think it was only two years. And so we're going to go back to Ephesians this morning, and I'm just going to try to sum up some things about what Grace Covenant is, how it came to be, and what its purpose is. And we're going to move on past one and two, and I want you to look in chapter four. And uh, in verse 11, he says, and he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith. It doesn't mean we all believe alike. 
but there's unity in our faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Listen to that again. As a result, we are no longer to be children. What are children like? They are tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. He longs for the bride to be mature. He longs for her to be beautiful. He longs for her to be holy and not moved by every wind, not moved by every scheme of man or every good idea that man has that says we ought to incorporate that into the church. But speaking the truth of in love, he gives the three expressions that we're going to talk about this morning. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, that causes the growth of the body. What causes the growth of the body of Christ? What is it that makes the body of Christ grow into the fullness of Christ? Well, he tells us, the body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. Emphasis of grace covenant from the very beginning has always been about relationship. Relationship expressed in threefold applications. First of all, a relationship with the father, with the head. He says in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ. There is that relationship that between the members of the body of Christ and the head of Christ, who is Christ. And he says, there's, we grow in that. We mature in that. We become more like him in that expression. And then he says, so there's that relationship with him. And then there's the relationship with one another. Verse 16, from whom the whole world, whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So there is that relationship between the members and the head, and there is that relationship between one member to another. That's what he's described here. We're to grow up into him. From him comes the ability to grow in our relationships with one another in a relationship of love. And that's significant. And we'll see that this morning. So this, I say, and affirm together with the Lord, 
that you walk no longer. Walk where? That you walk where? That you walk in the world. That you walk in your life. That you walk in your work. That you walk in your daily experience. Here's the relationship with the Lord. Here's the relationship with one another. And here's your relationship with the world. What's my relationship with the world to be? You walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. He's saying, you have this relationship with the Father. You're to grow in that. You have this relationship with one another. You're to grow in the function of that in order that you might be built up to walk in the world in a way that expresses you have these relationships. So had you have this relationship with the Lord, that you have this relationship with the head, that you have this relationship with the Father, that you have this relationship with one another in the body, that you come with a different set of values, that you come with a different set of significance, that you come with a different set of worth into the world. And as the world sees that, sees the contrast, sees the difference, they're drawn to that. Because they want what you're experiencing. The first thing I want us to look at is our relationship with Christ as the head. All right? Being a Christian, this is important. Being being a Christian does not consist of praying a sinner's prayer. People all the time, well, I prayed the prayer. Okay, good. And? Prayed the prayer. Somebody led me in the prayer. And based on that and that alone, many people are walking in the misunderstanding that because I verbalized those words, something happened in the heavens in me and I'm different. It doesn't consist of joining and attending church. It doesn't consist in believing that Jesus is God's son and that he rose from the grave. The enemy, the devil believes All of that, he knows that is true. He was there. He saw it. And he knows it to be factual. He knows it to be accurate. But just believing that alone, mentally assenting to that alone, does not make me a Christian. Or trying to adhere to the teachings of Jesus. I used to, every once in a while, you run across somebody, and you talk about reading scripture, I only read the red letters. Really? Yeah, I'm following Jesus. Just the mere fact that I, in my effort and in my will, I, will I choose to make this the guideline, the rule book, the pattern for my life does not within itself make me a Christian. Becoming a Christian consists of being in relationship with Christ as the Lord of my life. That's what being a Christian means. John 1, 12 says this, but as many as received him, as many as received Jesus, received being welcomed Jesus, embraced Jesus, to as many as embraced him, received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
Too many claim to be Christians because of things they have done and have not been born of God. There is no relationship with there. There is no DNA there. There is DNA in my children because of the relationship I have with them. I (laughs) almost said I birthed them, but I played my part. Okay? And because of that, there's a relationship there that cannot be denied. Run a DNA test. You'll see. Karis and Abby are mine. All right? Because of that relationship, they are children of Micah. Many would say, well, I received him. I asked Jesus in my heart, meaning typically, I asked him to forgive me of my sin. I asked him to take me to heaven. I wanted him to help me with my plans, with my life, with my vision, with my goals, with my ideals, with my future, with my finances, with my family problems, with my addiction. And their motivation in asking him to do what they asked him to do was to get on board with what was already going on and transpiring in their life and just help them be better at it, help them be successful at it, help them to accomplish all of their dreams and all of their visions. Basically what they're saying is, I wanted to receive Jesus as my Savior. But nothing else changed. There's a problem Romans 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. Who's Lord? Who's Lord? Well, he's Lord of the world. Okay, that's great. That didn't have anything to do with you. As I confess Jesus as Lord. Who's Lord? My Lord. As I embrace him as my Lord, Lord meaning absolute authority, as I confess Jesus as Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's that word Lord. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 6.15. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King James says potentate, You know what potentate means? You know what sovereign means? It means the absolute final authority, referring to Jesus. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and Lord of lords. Now listen, I want you to notice this distinction. Saving is what Jesus does. Come to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord is who Jesus is. It is what he is. He is the absolute sovereign king of kings and Lord of lords. He is not obligated to go anywhere that he has to be less than who he is. I want him to come as Savior. He won't come as Savior. He comes as Lord and saves in that process. 
but I can't divide it. I can't break it down. Well, I accepted him as Savior when I was little, and then later on I accepted him as Lord. He's not obligated to go anywhere that he has to be less than what he is, including a heart. And John, he says, many saw the miracles of Jesus and they came to him. But he did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in their heart and didn't need any man to testify of him. Saving is what Jesus does when he is invited to be who he is. It's what he does when he's welcomed to be who he is. The focus of Grace Covenant for the past 20 years is to impart to each member the reality that Jesus is alive and longs to live within each of us and fellowship with us personally under his headship. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. The focus has been to impart to each member the reality that he is alive and that he can live in each of us and he wants to fellowship with us and that's not only an informational truth, but it can be an experience of how we live in that reality. We can live out of that. We can walk in that. How to be still in his presence. How to touch him. How to enjoy him. Allow him to form a heart in each of us that seeks to obey him in every area of our life. That's been the heart of grace. That's been one of the focuses of grace. How can we encourage people in their relationship? How can we equip them in their relationship? How can we bless them in their relationship to learn to walk with him? And how to receive life personally from him and then bring that life to build up the rest of the body. Basically, to live in relation with him, to live in relationship with him, free from the influence of religion and all the shame, guilt, condemnation, and manipulation that comes with that influence. Relationship, relationship with the Father knowing him, him living in us, us enjoying him. That's been part of the emphasis. Now he goes on, he says in verse 15, talking about our relationship with one another. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, now here we're talking about the body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body. He's talking about a relationship that the members of the body have with one another. Now, let me ask you a question. What makes up a human body? What makes up a human body? If I get a bag of arms, a bag of legs, a couple of heads, 
couple of hearts. I bring them in and I lay them in the middle of the floor. Do I have a body? No. No, I got a bunch of parts. I don't have a body. If I somehow stitch those members together, the arm next to the chest and the leg and the head where it's supposed to be and the feet and the ankles, if I stitch all that together and lay it down there, does it become a body? No. It's a corpse at best. Frankenstein. But it's not a body. It's not a body. The human body is a group of members connected to one another with joints and ligaments that share a connection, a vital connection to the head. Read that again. The body is a group of members connected to one another with joints and ligaments that share a common connection to the head and are sharing human life with one another under the authority of the head. My, my forearm is part of my body because it's connected with joints and ligaments, which is a what? What is this right here? What is it? Well, it's, it's elbow, but what is it? It's a relationship. This forearm has a relationship with my bicep. And if it's a healthy relationship, if it's connected in a healthy way to the head, it becomes extremely useful to the body. And the head's happy with it. Yeah, you did good, man. Because it's functioning in relationship with the other member that it's connected to. And there is a flow of life that comes through it that benefits who? The whole body. The whole body. My feet hurt and they want to be rubbed. Where are they going to go to first? My tongue ain't doing no good. My back ain't doing no good. My forearm isn't doing any good, but my hands will go to the rescue and impart life to them that make them feel equipped, that make them know they can get back in the game, that they too now can function and be what they were supposed to be. But there's an impartation of life that takes place that flows through one member or another. And when those relationships Those joints and ligaments are healthy. The body is healthy. When they're connected to the head, now I can take a healthy hand and cut it off, and it ceases to be beneficial to the body, not to mention not beneficial to the hand. And it's not of any benefit to the head. There has to not only be a connection, a healthy relationship to the head, but there must also be a healthy relationship with the other members in the body. And we in Western Christianity seem to be extremely strong in building individual members. But we are terrible in our understanding of how the body of Christ is to be built up in these relationships with one another. What makes up the body of Christ? Well, I got to thinking about this. 
I said, well, Lord, what, what does the body of Christ on the earth today look like? You know what he said? He said, it looks like it did 2,000 years ago. What did it look like 2,000 years ago? There was a body. You see, God has always wanted a body to express himself from. Hebrews says he didn't want a temple. He didn't want worship. He didn't want sacrifices. He chose a body, a human body, to express himself through. And when you look at that body of Jesus and you look at it on the face of the earth, what do you see? You see hands committed to forearms, committed to biceps, committed to shoulders in submission to the head. Oh, not the head on his shoulders, but the head of the body. Jesus said, I didn't come here to do my will. I came here to do the will of the Father. He's my head. And what you see 2,000 years ago is a physical human body yielded to the head and in healthy relationships with one another, and it expresses the glory of God on the face of the earth. Now, let me ask you something. Where'd all that power go? Where'd all that power go that was in that body? Where'd all that life go that was in that body? Well, I tell you where it did not go. In its entirety, it did not go in you individually. It went corporately into the body of Christ. And how are we ever going to see the body of Christ expressed on the earth We will never see it until we understand how to function in relationship with the head and with one another and with the world. That's what made Jesus an expression of the Father and the will of the Father. Is the body of Christ just merely a group of believers? No. Do you have the church where you just have a group of believers together? No. What is it? The body of Christ consists of members connected in relationships with one another, sharing God's life with one another, and yielded to the head in every arena of their life. It means that we as the body of Christ recognize that we share not only, we share God life. And I can be a free flow agent for that life, or I can stymie that life. Depends on how yielded I am to the head. What does he want to do? How does he want to reveal himself to me? Where did the first woman come from? Where did the first bride come from? God took Adam, put him to sleep opened him up, pulled out a rib, and formed Eve. Where did the second bride come from? The second bride came from the second Adam. They pierced his side with a a spear, and blood and water flowed out the expression of life, and from that, the bride of Jesus was birthed. Eve was there 
coming from the side of Adam to be wed, to be married, to be together, to be one. The bride came from the side of Christ to be his bride, to be married, to be one, and to be an expression of the Father. It's not just an organization. It's not just a a slick program. It's there because the members are connected to the head receiving life and sharing that life with one another. Now, I know that takes a huge mental adjustment to get our mind around when we look at the church and understand that I am personally responsible for life bringing to the rest of the body. We determined a long time ago that the rise and the fall of the meetings would be conditioned on the condition of the body and not on the slickness of the worship team. So when we're tracking during the week and we're touching the Lord and we're enjoying him and he's imparting life to us, you see, one of the most natural things about a person, when God blesses him with life, one of the most natural things a person, Christian, can ever experience is the thrill of getting to give that to somebody else. Now think about it. When the Lord blesses us with money, what do we do with it? We want to give. We want to help people out. When the Lord blesses us with food, what do we want to do? We want to give that food. We want to bless people with that food. What do we do when we have clothes? Well, we buy bigger boxes and store them and put them in our attic, apparently. Now, what do we do with them? We want to give them away. We want to give them to somebody to have time. Well, what do we do with the life God imparts to us during the week? A healthy child of God will say, who can I give this to? This has been life to me. Who can I impart this to? Who can I give this to? Simply because I can gather people together in one place and call it a church doesn't make it the body of Christ. Only what is connected to the head and one another is the body of Christ. Part of the focus of grace has been learning to live in relationship with one another. Part of the focus of grace has been learning to live in relationship with one another. And we found out early on it is a messy proposition. It's a mess. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together, and he talks about a group of people learning to live together, literally, as the body of Christ. And I I may have all of the facts, but you understand the spirit of it is. He said, the thing about learning to live together is the first two years are the most disappointing and frustrating and painful there are. Because it usually takes about two years to get over the idea that living together isn't the way you think it ought to be. But it's the way God wants it to be. We find out that's messy, knowing one another. Had people say, I don't want people knowing my stuff. Well, you probably shouldn't hang around because you just get to know people. You get to value people in their relationships. You learn to value those relationships over opinion. I don't believe that. Okay. Okay. We don't all have to believe alike. That's not unity of the faith. 
Learning to live in forgiveness. Learning to live like you are already forgiven. I have already forgiven you in advance. There ain't nothing you can do that ain't been forgiven. That's how God forgave us. Tony, I've already forgiven you. We hadn't done nothing yet. Well, just hang around. You will. Okay? And that's the thing. We think this church is this ideal thing where nobody gets offended, nobody does anything wrong. Forget that. God, Paul said, offenses are coming. Don't be surprised when they get there. Now, Peter, I think. Offenses are coming. Oh, why are we shocked when somebody offends us? I didn't think you were going to do that. Well, I told you. Offenses are coming. My responsibility is to forgive you before you offend me. As God in Christ has forgiven us, he forgave us before we ever got here, before we ever did anything wrong. It means learning to come together to be a blessing instead of an order to get blessed. It learns and means coming together in order to encourage instead of looking to be encouraged. It means coming together in order to give instead of feeling like it's not successful unless somebody has given to me and learn to do that. And you know I could talk for hours about this, okay? So we're going to go on. Third one. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. Now then, got this relationship with the head. You're learning to have a relationship with one another. Now what do I do with it? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> when you walk, and you will walk, when you go out, and you will go out. And, 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 and Matthew really doesn't say, Go ye therefore and baptize. He says, as you go, do these things. As you go, you're going out. You're going to be out there. As you go, learn to walk. No longer as the Gentiles walk. Walk different than the world. Walk different than the world that lives in vanity. And if you don't think the world lives in vanity, go to Facebook for five minutes. Or turn on the evening news. It's filled with emptiness, no purpose, no direction, no love, no acceptance, all under the guise of love and acceptance. And it couldn't be more divisive. Learn to walk, not as the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Why did I not, how did I not learn from Christ in this way? Number one, because of my relationship with the head. And number two, my relationship with the members of his body. That's how I'm learning Christ. To watch him and see him. I want to tell you something on a very personal note. Being here part of this body for the last 27 years has been one of the greatest joys of my life. Y'all always hadn't done what I told you to do. 
You haven't always done what I expected you to do. But neither have I. But I want to tell you something. This is one of the greatest joys of my life, to learn to do life in Christ with you. Your flexibility, your love, your compassion, your willingness shines as a light in the darkness. And there are a ton of men in the ministry who cannot say that about where they are. I am happy to be here. I hope you're as happy to have me here. To watch, to watch us grow in relationship to the head, boy, that's been phenomenal. Watch the changes in the lives of some of us to, to, to grow from that vain thinking into a heart that says, I want what God wants. I want to think what God wants has been a thrill to walk with one another. Boy, you know, I, to watch you as you encourage one another. I, I very seldom, rarely ever, and it may be because it's just me, you know, and you got to be good around a preacher. I don't know. But very rarely, seldom ever do I hear one member criticizing another one. That is phenomenal. I see you scratching your head and wondering, what in the world is this? And that's legitimate because we're different from one another. How are we going to work through this? And I've watched us as conflicts arose between members and it get worked out and then I find out about it rather than running me and expecting me to go fix it. That's a sign of maturity to be able to experience conflict and value the relationship enough to say, you know what? We need to sit down and talk. Let's work this through. Let's work this out. That's amazing. And it's thrilling for me to watch. Now I'm excited to see what it's going to look like with the world. We hadn't really emphasized that a lot. We've referred to it. But I think that's what God's doing with us now is teaching us to have these relationships with the world without imitating it, without buying into it. How do we live in darkness as light? How do we get what, receive what the Lord has for me personally and then through the relationships and take that to the world and let them see the goodness of God in the land of the living? That's exciting to see what that's going to look like. Amen? All right.